welcome to Modern Figures Podcast, a show where we're elevating the voices of Black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce. We're your hosts, Dr. Jeremy Waysom and Dr. Kyla McMullen. This podcast is sponsored by the National Center for Women in Information Technology, or NCWIT. NCWIT is a nonprofit organization that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase participation of all women in the field of computing. Kyla and I are representatives of the Institute for African American Mentoring and Computing Sciences, or IMCS, which serves as a national resource for Black and African American students, faculty, and industry professionals in computing. Special thanks goes to our listeners who contribute to the podcast by supporting our online store, which you can find at our website, www.modernfigurespodcast.com. All right. So on today's episode, we're actually going to answer some of your questions. So we had a great experience at the Grace Hopper Conference this year, and lots of people came by our booth and they gave us some questions that they wanted us to answer on the air and they have to deal with different topics. So here's our first set. So... Jeremy, you want to start? <laughs> sure. Um, should I start with the question that's asked for me, or should I start with the question that's asked for you? Because it says Jeremy right here. Oh, and you're right. okay. Okay. Haha. <laughs> Ignore that. <laughs> okay. So our first question is, where have y'all been? Which has been pretty consistent at all of the events that we're <laughs> attending. Um. Uh, we've been busy. Booked and busy. That's right. And so we're trying to get more stuff out to everybody. But, you know, we have lives. Kyla's a whole faculty member. A whole one. Who just went <laughs> up for tenure and had to submit a whole bunch of stuff. Right. Got like a whole research Literally lab. everything about her whole life. Right. As an academician. Right. And then um, I'm trying to find a full-time job. Postdoctoral associate is, I don't know, a transition. Yeah. It's not a permanent position, at least not in computing right. or engineering. So I'm ready to get up out of here and, <laughs> <laughs> and find something else to do. Um, we actually taped like six episodes over the summer, which was craziness. Um, yeah. our schedules were just all over the place. And like four of them were then like the same small span of time. So we just got tired. I think four <laughs> of them were like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday yeah. or something. Wednesday, Friday, Friday, Saturday. It was crazy. And so we collectively passed out everyone. Brie, Brie, especially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brie's in the background nodding. Y'all can't see her, but it's real. But um, we're back. If you can hear this clearly. Yeah, we're back. <laughs> We're alive. I'm having a human. Yay. Shout out to my my friend, Dr. D, Dr. for buying me this shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's the person who bought this so shirt. So explain what it says for people that can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> the shirt says, holy shift, with an F. <laughs> Look at this asthmatote on that mother function. Um, it's a calculus joke, really. And I was telling Bree, who's a journalism major, <laughs> so she didn't take calculus, <laughs> that um, one over e to the x is a function that you typically see. Yeah. Um, nice little asymptote. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful function. And then this one is shifted <laughs> vertically and horizontally. And, you know, 
it's a big deal in the nerd industry. So <laughs> the shirt is all over the internet. You can find it if you have a pregnant friend who likes math. <laughs> they will enjoy it as I do. What is the nerd industry? Hey, it's out there. Uh, oh yeah, true. Think Geek is a whole website. See? Yeah, you're right. You think I'm playing? It's real. It's out there. You're right. So for those of you who care, my shirt says <laughs> it's in the syllabus because I wear this when I do the syllabus on the first day of class because students don't be reading. They ask you stuff that is clearly stated on the syllabus. So you should wear it uh, to your midterm exams too. <laughs> I just, should. That's a reminder, like a right. mental note, like hey y'all, it's in the syllabus. <laughs> I should just wear it every day. I should get like no. five and just like rotate them. That's not cute. No. <sighs> it's a uniform. That. It's easy. No. We're not the white male congregation <laughs> in tech. <laughs> That's not how we operate. <laughs> oh my gosh. But both of our shirts are academic theme because we're going to answer some questions that largely have an academic theme. So you want to do the first one? Super cute. Okay. All right. So. The first question is from Suitha, and Suitha asks, what are some strategies to increase the number of women of color in CS majors? So when I think about that question, Suitha, I think about the whole process from getting women like interested in CS to the point that they can get to college and actually choose it as a major. So um, the first thing I thought of was just like decolonizing the messaging. So <laughs> basically like, you know, we've talked about it before, the messaging around who's a computer scientist, what a computer scientist looks like, largely does not include women of color. So making sure that um, there's equal representation whenever you're talking about women in computing fields. Yeah, I think role modeling is really important. Yeah. And so... I mean, that's one of the reasons why we chose to actually film mm-hmm. our episodes and put them on YouTube. Uh, so, you know, podcasts aren't typically visual, right? right. Like you, you listen to them auditory. They're great. But um, yeah, like you need to show people who they can be. If you can see it, you can be it or that's whatever right. you want to, whatever quote you want to use that's relevant to that. And so that's one of the strategies that we're using. Yeah. What else? So another thing I thought about, and Jeremy, you have some experience with this, is like inclusive teaching practices. So like just in the classroom, making students of color feel welcome. And if that has everything to do, did you want to take it or because no, you're the ahead. expert you're, in this? But, I mean, you're doing well. <laughs> well, it's, it's to me mostly like, for example, there can be examples in the class. I remember once there was a professor I had who was giving us this coding assignment and the analogy he was using was the way that you undock a boat. And I'm like, my parents don't have a boat. Like, how am I supposed to understand what in the world you're talking about? It's not that to learn Lord. about boats so I can understand this other concept that you're talking about. So just like consider your I don't want to call them biases but any assumptions that you make about the knowledge that people have when you're teaching Um, I remember there was this whole uproar when I was in grad school because the only time this one professor ever had pictures in his slides of people of color and mind you they had pictures in their slides all the time was when they were talking about poor people talking about disadvantaged people and so the colored folk in the class were like "Um, why is it the one time you feature us it's in a very negative light so <laughs> yeah that's not okay yeah right and so definitely by using diverse examples by mm-hmm. highlighting scientists who are of color and the work that they've contributed inviting guests to come into your classroom who don't fit the stereotypical norm of your discipline 
Um, all of those things are absolutely invaluable to students who otherwise wouldn't see themselves represented in those classrooms. Yeah, when I teach, I always make sure that if there's a video, even if it's clip art on a slide, there's going to be at least a woman or a black person on there just just because. Yeah. And if people ask, hey, why do you always have, why do I always see one set of people? Like, that's the other set question. If someone asks you, why do you always have to have a woman? Why does it always have to have a black person? Like, no one ever asks when, you know, you only see one demographic mm -hmm. in pictures or examples or videos. So, yeah, I try to make sure that everybody feels included. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's another way. Um, and then we talk about how important it is to have community and have support mm -hmm. beyond just in the classroom. And so we have to do a better job at, like, fostering these communities where women of color feel like they belong yeah. and that can be through mentorship it could be through like mentoring from someone who's in the field or even just peer mentoring with students who are a little bit ahead of them so that they can visually see themselves in the future role that they want to be in and so like we have programs at UF for students to go through like this cohort where they come in it's a summer bridge program as freshmen and they get acquainted to the university and then they continue to have activities and programs that are specifically targeted towards them mm -hmm. throughout the academic year. Um, but it gives them a leg up. And similarly, we can do that in high schools um, and middle schools where, you know, women of color are given those spaces where they can grow. Yeah. And they have to be safe spaces where they can talk about stuff that they can't talk about in other environments. Yeah. And interestingly, like the program I'm talking about, uh, I was just talking to the director today and he was saying that for women of color, that's the group that actually benefits the most from the programming that we're providing here. Wow. And that's like an engineering program that's open to underrepresented students, but it doesn't discriminate against students who are from majority backgrounds. And so... Um, that's really interesting yeah. to note that like you can design a program that targets everyone, but when you have community, when you have support, when you do cohort modeling, um, when you're intentional, when you're very intentional about the experience that students get, uh, women of color seem to thrive in that environment. So surprise, it's, surprise. It's a, <laughs> it's a, we like people, right? right? <laughs> so anytime that you can remove isolation from the picture, yeah. Uh, women of color are most likely to succeed. Yeah. And also another way to help increase um, with CS majors is show how fun computer science can be. And don't just show this picture of, oh, you have to be a programmer, you have to be behind a desk and you're not going to see anyone and lose all your friends and all that. I was actually just speaking with a student who is in computer science. She's an undergraduate. And, you know, we talk from time to time, like almost every other week. And she she's in computing, but she's like, I just don't want to sit and program all day. Brilliant <laughs> student. And she's like, you know what? I And she listens to this. She knows exactly what I'm talking to. But uh, she's like, you know, I want to feel like I make a difference. I want to look at policy. I want to 
look at how I can affect technology policy and things like that. So we've been working through like some options like that, but people don't even know that exists, like that yeah. you can have a CS background and do something that integrates another, and I'm going to say fun in quotation marks or more active looking <laughs> major, because, you know, we're moving away from the point where we just have traditional computer scientists, you know, a lot of times our advancements in the world are just coming from the application of computer science with some other disciplines. So you shouldn't feel like, oh, I got to sit in front of this black screen in the dark, stay up till five, drinking Mountain Dew, you know, coding. That's not what we're doing <laughs> anymore. And Doritos. Oh, okay. Cool Ranch. I didn't know that's what y'all did. Hot Cheetos. Uh, stereotypically, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. What's funny about that is, so we're at Grace Hopper Celebration. It was really cool. And a bunch of people were coming up to our booth and Kyla was being Kyla and I was being <laughs> me. And people were like, oh, my gosh, like these personalities are real. Right. You guys are exactly <laughs> like, like a real this. person. <laughs> it's like, yes, we are. <laughs> and we both work in a computer science department. Right. This so. is not an act. It's too much effort to act. No, it would be way too much. Yeah. I don't have time for that. <laughs> Our next question is from Destiny J. Destiny J writes, how can HBCU women specifically engage high school girls to study information technology? So I did not attend an HBCU. And I, in particular, tend not to make suggestions specifically towards anyone because I feel like and this question should just apply to everyone in general but um, I think representation is important and HBCUs offer something that predominantly white institutions can't replicate and so my initial suggestion is that they should leverage some of the existing national organizations um, that are out there that support the introduction of girls into technology in some way. So the Black Data Processing Associates organization is one. Uh, NC Wit, of course, is another, and you know we promote them pretty heavily on our on our podcast. But they have started making stronger efforts to support uh, black women and girls specifically. So NCWIT, though new in this space, um, could be a really good partner organization because they have so much funding to support um, students and faculty. Yeah, that's good. I don't know what ITSMF stands for, but Kyla can tell <laughs> you about that. It's IT Senior Management forum i believe and they're actually kind of similar to bdpa where there are lots of people who have very high positions in it it's a conference they have um i know sometimes they co-locate with bdpa you see kind of some of the same faces in both but they also have some pre-college initiatives for girls as well and they're just like bdpa they have initiatives in different cities so you can look up you know if they're in your city or not um, we also have Nesby. Which... I'm super biased towards <laughs> Nesby. The National Society for Black Engineers. Yeah. That's my fam. Shout out to everybody in Nesby. Um, yeah. I did all the things in Nesby. So Nesby has a really strong pre-collegiate initiative. 
that is a network that I, you know, if I could just do one thing of my life, <laughs> it would be working with that organization to support underrepresented students in engineering because that's that's what they do. Yeah. And I would say even to like, let's say we're Destiny's advocate and let's say Destiny is the president of Nesby. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't know how in the world. We get these relationships with high schools. I would say try to meet some high school teachers because oftentimes they're always like, can you please come in my classroom? All my friends here I know who teach. Like, can you please come talk to these kids? Can you please come? I don't know what to tell them, but I know you're doing computer stuff. So um, I would say try to engage with some local high schools where you think that you could come in, do a session. We did this one session once in this uh, Detroit middle school where just teaching them about algorithms. So algorithms are the way that computers actually it's a so an algorithm itself is a logical sequence of instructions step by step unambiguous to go from a problem to a solution so we played an algorithm game where i was a robot and they had to make the algorithm of making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you think that that's really simple so i had like peanut butter jelly a spoon a knife and a loaf of bread unopened on the table and you know they're, i'm like well, what do i do now they're like put the peanut butter on the bread and so i pick up the peanut butter jar and smash it on top of the bread like <laughs> you know just to teach them like you know there's small steps just like that you have to follow and stuff like that but that was something that we weren't part of an organization we just said hey we're gonna go to this middle school um that was it no longer exists now sadly but you know we talked to the teachers and we're like hey we want to come in and tell these kids about computing so you don't have to have a whole initiative behind it it's great if there's already existing efforts in your area but it doesn't take all that i was gonna say a lot of high schools are already doing really great work to Mm -hmm. expose students to uh, computing in some way shape or form or engineering and it's just a matter of identifying who those exceptional teachers are yeah and that takes work on your end to figure out okay where are these spaces where they want additional support and how can i latch into them um they're when you're dealing with the K-12 system, there's a lot of red tape that you might run into. Yes, because <laughs> they are children. Um, but don't let that deter you. It doesn't mean that you can't accomplish the goals that you want to accomplish to encourage uh, students who are in that system to pursue computing or IT or whatever it is. Um, the other thing is, like, you can actually apply for grant funding so if you really 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 feel like i need some money to do this uh kalia braswell is an example of someone who did just that she had an idea of how to expose young girls um, in her area to computing and she applied for an ncwit academic alliance seed fund and got money and started in tech camp for girls yep, that's right. <laughs> yeah. shout out to Kalia hey girl hey so yeah you can you can find funds to do the work that you're doing or you can latch on to those existing structures and just be a support I know when I was in high school I was doing that at a local YMCA when I came mm-hmm. to college I was working with a high school here in Gainesville Eastside High School shout out to my homies there Eastside uh, with Pam Minifield, who's an exceptional teacher and runs their SECME program and also their Nesby Junior chapter. And, you know, she had connections with other teachers at other high schools, and that's what we did. So it's possible to start there. And then I went on with Nesby to do regional positions and a national position for the 
national convention and focused on supporting pre-collegiate students. You can do That's it. Awesome. It's There's opportunities there, and don't let anyone stop you. It's a fun group, too. Don't feel like, oh, I'm only in my first year or second year. I don't know a whole lot to tell them. You're mere presence there yep. and telling them something they don't know about a job that they have never heard of or a field that they've never been exposed to can go so far. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, it doesn't take a whole lot of money. Um, if you think about it, if you're at a university, oftentimes there's a career, there a computer lab. There is a, you know, you can get people there on the weekend. If you tell the department, hey, we, we did that <laughs> one time, you know, just, hey, we have this open computer lab, logged all the kids in mm-hmm. and like, hey, we're going to jump on some. There's free tools online where they you can like get these in browser compilers so kids can learn how to write code and compile it and not have to like be in actual like unix programming environment so there's a lot of free you just said a bunch of words and i don't know all that to say (laughs) it don't take that much and also for um the last thing i wanted to add is that right now we're at a time where like social media is so prevalent and like having visual representation of things like you could start a whole instagram movement around this like not me because i'm old but y'all are young (laughs) so the person asked question is very young and you can showcase lots of different girls and use all the high school hashtags and all that good stuff and just show that there are careers in it that these girls may not have thought of so using social media as a way to expose women that you may not even have access to or young girls you don't have access to Next question. Next question. So this one's very interesting. So Jerrica writes, how do you feel about Latina women participating in African-American centric conferences? <laughs> um, I'm biased. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like in like my stomach slash my spirit is a Latina woman. <laughs> so I am Afro-Latina at heart. Yes, slash. because I love Latin food. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's part of who I am. It's like ingrained in my mind as something that belongs to me culturally, <laughs> even though it does not. Um, I studied abroad in Spain. I tried to stay. My mom said no. Um, so I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, especially because there's a, an entire community of Latinas who identify as being from the African diaspora. Right. You can't exclude that population, right? But that does not mean that someone who's white presenting mm-hmm. does not have a heritage that is Afrocentric at all. That's interesting. And so we have this monolithic idea of what Latinas look like and what that means culturally. And it's unfair to say you don't belong to this community because you don't present that way. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. So my mom is super, super, super light. And (laughs) (laughs) I really like pissed her off when I was little at some point because I was like, you white. And she was like, (laughs) I am not white. (laughs) And then I proceeded to continue to like harass her about this until she yelled at me and was like, listen, (laughs) listen, I am African American and you're <laughs> you not going to go around such. right. <laughs> and it, it and it's so it was one of those things where it was really like eye opening to me to understand that we can look white as white, like literally white, or we can be the darkest of dark and everything in between. Yeah. When you said that, it reminded me of a friend I had who's from Spain, but her parents raised her 
and I'm going to get the country wrong, but it's a country in Africa. Mm-hmm. And when we got to grad school, she felt more comfortable and at home around black people. Right. She's like, I don't, this is what, how I grew up. This is what I identify with. Yes. I'm going to come to your Nesby meetings. Cause this is right. Culturally what I identify with. Right. And so uh, there's a faculty member here. Her name is Cynthia Rivera Jimenez. And she has, she's from Puerto Rico and her grandmother is Afro-Latina, mm-hmm. but she does not look Afro-Latina, but she identifies as being Afro-Latina. Who am I to tell her? You can't come. You can't be a part of my community. Right. I feel like that's wrong and we should do a better job at supporting our sisters who are part of our community, whether they look like they belong to us or not. Half the time, we got some of the same struggles. Not completely the same, but we do sometimes have similar issues. Yeah. So we all need each other. We should support each other. We're all in this fight together. Right. And that's that's where I stand. I agree. Okay, cool. I'm glad. All right, next question is from Simbi. How can I get into research after graduating with a bachelor's degree? Hmm... Go to grad school. Yeah. <laughs> That's the easiest answer to that question, Cindy. Go to grad school and these things will, you know, find a research lab, find an advisor who's doing research you find interesting. You can do an independent study. If you're not so sure about the PhD thing, um, you can volunteer in a research lab as well to kind of feel things out and have a natural like I, I really like the independent study option because if you like the lab cool you can stay if you don't like the lab you can be like all right this is where I leave you the semester's over See <laughs> yeah bye um, <laughs> um I mean it just depends on where you're at like if you've taken a position to work at a company it's going to be really hard to get into research if the job you have does not involve research. Right. right? So graduate school is generally what people do to transition out of industry and back into an academic setting. And though you don't have to pursue a degree that involves research, if that's what you're interested in, you want to pursue one of the degrees that allow you to do that. So a master's with a thesis or a doctoral degree will give you the opportunity to conduct research and make it your own. Yeah. And let's see with the research lab. Um, so let's say you are working for a company and they do have an arm that allows you to do research. You might be able to convince your supervisor to let you shadow someone so that you can see what that role looks like and whether or not it's something that you would have interest in. And likely they'll send you to get the training that you need um, to become specialized. So for example, you can get a degree in any engineering or computing related discipline from a research institution and you will come out with some skills, but your skills are going to be broad or they're going to be specific to one thing. <laughs> there's there's really, yeah. there's, it's not really a spectrum. It's like right. you're either really broad or you know right. one teeny tiny little sliver about something. Yeah. And so when you go to work for a company, um, they're going to have to train you anyways. And so hopefully if you're in a space that allows for research, um, you will have the opportunity to get the training you need. Even with a PhD, they yeah. will still train you 
to do the work um, that they need specific to their company. So just some advice. The other thing is um, you can read a lot of scholarly articles on the internet. So if you no longer have access to your university library system, you can use Google Scholar and think about things that that are that you're passionate about or that really interest you and read about what people are doing in, in your discipline. Don't go past like 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a little filter on the side where you can say paper since like a certain year. So right. yeah, you want to have a foundation and read some of the older seminal papers, but you also want to know what are people doing right now mm-hmm. in this area? And like, if some of the problems they're answering are interesting to you, then you can pursue that even further. Um, one option also is like, let's say if you haven't secured an industry job yet, but you've graduated with your master's, I have students that I've employed in my lab just to work hourly, like mm-hmm. just in the lab, like we might need some development work done. And they kind of got a chance to see research because we're not allowed to hire them to do research but they Mm. get a chance to observe they come to the lab group meetings they know the questions that we're solving but that's just like a policy here that may not be a policy policy here it might not be everywhere but just um getting your feet wet and you know going to someone saying hey i can either volunteer could i volunteer or could do you have any hourly work or development that i could do in your lab because then you get a firsthand sense of what research looks like what's being involved you can ask the person who leads the lab you know what are the papers you all are going off of and read the papers they've been doing. So I actually have a student who started off hourly with me who's now entering the PhD program in the spring. That's Because, cute. yeah, he really liked it. Outside of computer science, actually a mechanical engineer who mm. can program. So, yeah, I have a whole United Nations of majors in my lab. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel like that was sufficiently. Yep. same. Okay. So. Our next question comes from Brittany J. And Brittany asks, girl, how can... She probably did. She probably she said probably it just did. like that. We know Brittany. Yeah. How can I best prepare myself for finding an academic job that will help me flourish professionally and personally? So when I read that question, I think... With professionally having a really good atmosphere in the department, a place that you can learn, grow, get really good mentoring. And then personally, I think of as being a town or a city or a place that just has opportunities to foster me as a person. So... The first part um, what I would recommend first is to new- use your network. So we know Brittany's outgoing. So, you know, use your network and just talk to people who are in academic jobs and ask them, what do you think about your job? What do you think about, you know, the city that you live in? What are some of the things that you do? And yes, you're not going to be exactly like anyone else. But if people don't have good things to say about their job, <laughs> then generally you don't want to go there. Like you people will recruit you to go somewhere where you're walking in the door and they're walking out the door that's true and they'll get their hiring bonus off of you so you know you want to get the realty before you actually commit to something um so yeah don't be afraid or at least this is my strategy i'm not afraid to ask deep questions like somebody tells me i don't want to answer that then that's fine but i'm going to ask nosy questions just to know like hey for example if you're single and you're moving to the middle of kansas i would ask a black person hey have you found dating to be hard here because if you're interested in being married and you it doesn't behoove you to go to a place where and you know that you want to marry someone who looks like you it does not it behoove you to go to a place where there won't be people who look who look like you if that's your thing. So I would say just 
do interviews. Make sure that what you are looking for is in the city you're going to. Don't just select an opportunity based on the job itself. You are a person outside of those 8 to 10 to 12 hours that you are at work. So um, also do a self-inventory. Think about what do you need to thrive as a person and really be real about yourself. Write those things down and think about what cities have those things and what places have those things and do one for personally and professionally. I knew for myself, coming out of my grad school program, I had no experience writing grants. So I was like, I need to be somewhere where there's a senior Mm -hmm. faculty member who can help me learn how to get grant funding because otherwise I'm just going to be just treading water and not (laughs) really making any progress. So, um, yeah. Did you want to add anything, Jer? I can't add anything. Um, I feel like I mentioned earlier that I'm out here trying to transition myself. So... (laughs) I don't know the answer to this question. I know that I've worked on committees or in some capacity as like the, hey, you know all the black people. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you introduce our guest or our prospective faculty member to some of your your people? Yeah. And see if they want to stay. They need to give us a commission on some of this stuff. And I am really real (laughs) about that. Like, so I am not the person to invite to participate in something if you just want the sunshine and roses because that's not my personality. I am 100% myself at all times. So And then people still end up coming. So Kyle's here, yep, right? That's right. That's true. And we had a whole real conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I was the first person she met from, right. from Gainesville yep. uh, when she was transitioning here and i was like i'm gonna tell you whatever you want to know right and now we're still friends five (laughs) years later so you know it's one of those things where you can find people who will be real with you when you're on the market and you just have to be very strategic about who you're communicating with because you don't want it to come across like you're not interested in the place yeah, or you're skeptical of the place uh, when you're in the interviewing process. So it's a delicate balance, Yeah, but you can, you can definitely get the answers to the questions that you want. Yeah. I would even seek out, I know for me, community is large. That's a huge thing for me. Um, Whenever you're looking at evaluating places, you can look and ask people, Hey, what is your community here? Who is in your community here? Cause if they're like, Oh yeah, I just go to work, come home and, I don't know, go to the gym and I don't really see other people. If you are an introvert, cool, that works for you. But if you're an extrovert, you may want to find a place that can foster that for you. So asking about community is always a great question. I'm going to like transition to this yeah, next question. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Okay, so our next question is, how do you decompress from the daily emotional labor of being a black woman in academia? Ooh, chat. And... So I feel like this is in some ways relevant, right? Mm -hmm. Because, and this is from Candy. Hey, Candy. Hey, Candy. (laughs) Um, Ciao. (laughs) How long we got? (laughs) So I'm just going to answer this very succinctly. Um, I am a huge proponent for (laughs) self-preservation. And recently, one of our colleagues here at UF said, I'm just trying to protect my peace. Yeah. Shout out to Dr. Barnes. <laughs> um, 
that resonated with me so much because I do a lot of stuff. And at some point you just got to be like, this isn't beneficial to me as a person and shut it down. Yeah. So that's, that's what I do is now I'm like, is it the question I ask, is this going to help me (laughs) with tenure promotion? I'm a postdoc, but I'm trying to figure out like, is this valuable to me and my career? If it's not fine. Is it something I want to do? Do you want to do this? Right. Do you want to take the time and energy to do this? If the answer to that is no, then it's a no automatically. Right. If the And then if it's something that's going to help me with tenure and promotion and I don't want to do it, then I have to decide how much labor is this going to take and am I willing to do it for my career? Yeah. And so I I do a whole self-inventory when I'm deciding what I'm going to do for my academic career. And that's helped me tremendously because I need to protect my peace. Yeah, no, that's really, really poignant. Like there's, um, we have a colleague, Christina Gardner McCune. Hey, Christina. <laughs> and um, one day she said something about before I say yes to something, I think about what am I saying no to? And generally when I started doing that for myself, if I were to say yes to certain events, it was always me saying no to something that was for myself, mm. like no to my sleep. No to me no. going to the Mm-mm. gym. No to me, blah, blah, blah. And then you find yourself 30, 40, 50 pounds overweight since you got here. Sorry, I'm talking about a friend. But <laughs> you find yourself because you haven't taken care of yourself. Oh. And you're making sure that everybody else has what they need. And you're Ooh, constantly child. saying no to yourself. So I've been saying no a whole lot more these days. The only, like, I get students ask me to speak all the time. I love speaking to students, but I'm very strategic about it. Like I'll speak to a society if I need them to do something (laughs) or like, but, and I also spoke to like, you know, the ship and Nesby, they had this thing together Mm -hmm. and like, it was so great. I was like, all right, everybody subscribe to the podcast. (laughs) But you know, I, I'm very selective about what I do, who I speak to, but just to be devil's advocate, Jeremy, what is the daily emotional labor of being a black woman in academia? Like, why isn't it just the labor of being an academic? Like what's so special? about being let a black me, let woman me just start in with my this. sarcastic voice let me start with this <laughs> um y'all see kyla and i for those of you who are looking at this on youtube <laughs> you've seen photos of us on social media do we look alike <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna start with that right we'll that's, start there that's like ground zero if you're listening pull up the podcast website modernfigurespodcast.com and <laughs> go ahead and look at our pictures we aren't the same person not at all our hair doesn't look the same She's taller than I am. Height, everything, build, just different. There's like six of us in computer science. And I feel like... Six black women. Yeah. And I feel like I've been confused for all but one of them at this point. (laughs) And I just don't, I don't understand. Especially like at this point when I'm pregnant. Yeah. Y'all just aren't trying. Yeah, it's like you're not, you just say, I see melanin. <laughs> you must be the black person I'm Ooh, thinking brown. about. Um, yeah, so that's like, yeah. That, yeah. that's It happens so much. It's annoying. Um, and, and, and the thing is, like, some of it's really harmless stuff, but it's also really insidious stuff where it's like, you didn't take the time to acknowledge me. Right. Like, you acknowledge my blackness and Hello. my femininity. Hello. But you didn't acknowledge me, Jeremy, the person. That's 
a lot to contend with when you've taken the time yourself to learn all the nuances between the majority of the people who happen to exist right. in the department. Exactly. Um, and furthermore, this whole academic thing, you know, since I went up for tenure, you're being judged based on the opinions of your peers. Right. They don't know who I am. If they, they don't know who Christina you are, what you time. do. Right. Like, and that's I'm Wanda, and I'm Shawnee, and I'm Jeremy, and I'm Super problematic. It's super, it's super <laughs> problematic. And so, like, if you can't, if you don't know the work that I do, who I am, but you're supposed to judge me right. on what I've accomplished. How is that? How is that possible? Okay, right. I don't teach, but Kyla teaches, and the emails. I mean, I I get these emails too, where they're like, Jeremy, or like, mm. Hey Jeremy, or Hey Miss Waysome, and yeah. it's like, Do you not see this PhD, right, or this doctor, and then the same or this email MRS in front of my name? Because that's I have to do all that. My name is Jeremy, spelled like the normal guy's name. Whatever. So I have to put MRS so you know I'm a woman in the beginning. Right. But you took the time to ignore that because I get a <laughs> Mr. Waysome. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't understand. And to add on to it, in the same email, it'll say Miss McMullen or Miss Waysome. Dr. Such and Such told me to oh, ask yeah. you this. And it'll be the obviously doctor will be a man. But mm-hmm. it's like, OK, so we didn't earn the same PhD. All right. OK. And that part is just ridiculous. Like the fact that you can acknowledge the degree of this person. I don't even care if you call me doctor, professor, doctor. I don't care. Don't call me by my first name because only kid. Actually, my brother's not even kid anymore. I used to say the only, <laughs> only person under 21 who could call me by my first name is my little brother. And he's older now. So all mm-hmm. y'all going to put some speck on my name. Yeah. So it's and, and the other piece is I have students come by my office sending me text messages asking me questions can you be on this committee can you do this really important thing and I saw a post recently about like how we have to learn to say no to these very important things that must happen now um, because we're called upon to do these additional tasks because we represent a certain gender or a certain race yeah. Um, I could ask to be on one more diversity committee. No. The answer is yeah. no at this point. And yeah. So that's what the emotional labor is. It's it's the the added the added commitments that you are voluntold to participate in that your peers are not expected to do. Yeah. In addition to it's almost like you don't exist. So in some respects, they want you to be present and be visible. And then other, in other respects, they don't actually They're care. They're like, sit down somewhere. See you. We don't want to see you. So balancing those things is, is really tough. Yeah. And one other point I wanted to make is that we talk about it. They are things that when we have to do them, we feel as though like the university volunteers us for things. But there was this article that came out um, and it was about when saying no isn't the answer and I'm sorry I'm forgetting the name of the author but she you know is a faculty member and saying you know as a woman of color I have black women who knock on my door every day tweet text call yeah do you remember I can't remember her name but um for some people in the majority yeah you can afford to say no to every student who wants mentoring but for me I feel like I've been put in a position where I can affect the lives of women who 
I may not have reached this far. So I'll say yes to those kinds of things. So I may say no to speak to a student group because I'm pouring into the life of another student who I know is trying to get where I am. They're going through the same stuff I was going through. And it's so therapeutic, even more so for me, because I'm being the person I wish I had in grad school for them. And, you know, they, then the university, there's no way to quantify that on a tenure dossier to let you know, Hey, you know, all the black women's program almost left if we hadn't had this intervention to make sure, you know, things were cool. So yeah, there's this constant demand on your time and, you know, all of it isn't a labor, but it's definitely something that's required of you that isn't required of your majority peers. Yeah. And so Kyla dances. Mm -hmm. Um, I sleep right now. (laughs) I'm like one of those people who like, I need eight hours of sleep. And so like, I've never pulled an all nighter in school. Praise the Lord. I will not have to do that ever because I'm done with school. Yep. Um, And I don't tend to like, I don't know, like party and stuff like that. But I do take trips places like with friends and family like we go snowboarding we try to go like every winter that's cool um we go on family trips so like i just went to the grand canyon and some national parks in utah to like just be with nature and disconnect because you know wi-fi doesn't necessarily or cell service doesn't necessarily reach most of those areas but, you know, just, like, taking time to um, kind of reset. Yeah. Got to take vacations. You have to make sure, like, like you said, you're taking care of yourself. Because once you start feeling like everything, like, there was one day I was like, everything I did today was for somebody else. And I got really mad. I was like, I haven't done anything for myself today. Did you go get ice cream? I didn't. But I watched some <laughs> trash TV. Trash TV is always yeah. great. Yeah. That's <laughs> I it. I felt better. Our next question is from Scooter Magruder. Who is that? (laughs) (laughs) That is my little brother. (laughs) Hey, Scoo Scoo. Okay. So (laughs) he actually called us right before this episode and had a couple of questions that are related to each other. So the questions are, in what ways are black women in engineering or computer science treated differently? And what can we do to remedy the problem? That's really good. I was shocked. Yeah. I mean, that's that's actually a really deep question. Um, not that my brother's not deep. <laughs> um, but he's not known for that, right? That's like, true. His videos he's, are he's very Known playful. on the internet for being funny and being about sports. But he's walked with me through this entire journey of getting my bachelor's master's and phd in engineering so he's seen yeah all of what i've had to go through and it's been a lot um i mean y'all know like black women are stereotypically categorized as angry yeah got an attitude standoffish like stuck up all of these negative words that don't necessarily i mean there are moments when i'm angry but it's not my day-to-day 
right. emotion. But I think everybody has days that they're right. angry, but it's like, even like the resting, whatever, just like your general, oh, you look like you didn't want anyone to talk to you. Like, I'm just sitting here. <laughs> this assumption. Or I might not want you to talk to me. That too. But that's okay. Like, that's okay. Um, yeah. yeah. And then like, there's other things in, in coursework. Like, I remember you know, people treating me like I'm their mom in some ways. Right. Or, like, my only contribution to the group was to make the stuff look pretty. Yeah. Or be the presenter because I'm outspoken. Um, yeah, they don't care about your mastery of the material. No. They're like, you're going to be the one who presents it. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, that definitely happened to me as well. You know, all the group coding projects like oh you can be the tester i'm like no i'm writing this code because i ain't testing no crazy <laughs> stuff y'all put together no that y'all ain't send me up and you know saying sort of things oh you can do documentation you yeah. can write about it yes documentation is important but we all need to do documentation you can't ascribe that to one person assuming oh that's your identity you can only like you said make it pretty mm-hmm. document it present it maybe test it but yeah yeah. So group project, I would say selection as well as like the, um, or people, they don't even want to be in groups with you. Like yeah. I know all the time, whenever the teacher, if they don't assign groups, oftentimes like you see everybody kind of turn to the people who look like them to be in groups with them. And at the end of the day, you know, you're fishing around with the other minorities in the class. Like, all right, I guess we're a group. Why are all the black people in one group? Uh, Cause y'all all <laughs> bundled up together. Uh, <laughs> That's you why. ain't choose me. Right. And then you wonder why all the black kids are sitting together in the cafeteria group. So that's a whole other story. That's I love whole, that book. Oh yeah, that's a great book. Yeah. And even that comes like to bear with the language that's used around even just evaluating black women. Mm-hmm. So this whole, like you said, being motherly and mothering, um, there's research that shows that the words used like in evaluations are always things like care and nurturing or when you, so number one, the research shows that uh, women and minorities particularly get, you know, worse evaluations than men. Cool. There was even a research study where it was an online teacher. So there was one standard teacher that everybody got, but the online persona was that of, you know, a white man, white woman, black man, black woman. And so when it was a black woman, they got like ridiculously less scores than everyone else. The, the scores kind of fell as you would assume that they would. Um, so it was like, oh, she doesn't. But the language is always, oh, you don't care enough. You didn't nurture me enough. It's like, I'm not your mama. Like, that is not my job as a professor. Yes, I care about you and your uh, trajectory in this class. But if you're not putting in the work, yeah, I don't care because you don't care because you ain't come to class. But. <laughs> I mean, the same thing would happen with another professor, like you're yeah. saying. Oh, yeah. They don't say that to and their they, other they professors, their male professors that, you know, you don't say, oh, you didn't care enough to give me this grade. Don't you care? Did you ask that to doctor such and such down the hall that you call doctor all the time and call me miss? <laughs> all right. then. Um, and, and the same thing goes for like letters of recommendation yep. for students for faculty, mm-hmm. for whatever you need Any it for. Any evaluation. Um, yeah, there's just, it's almost like our scholarship doesn't matter. Yeah. Like our scholarship comes secondary to the persona that we have. Right. Which is unfortunate because, I mean, it it, it eliminates us from opportunities 
because we're not seen as competent as our peers. And yeah. Like, like we were saying earlier, like competency should be the only thing that matters. Right. And people spend a whole half a page talking about how funny and smart and caring you are versus them spending half a page with someone else talking about their actual technical abilities. Yeah. And then how do we remedy this? I mean, part of this, like when I was a student, I used to just be like, what you ain't going to (laughs) do? You know, which what you not go do. (laughs) I'm not saying that I didn't play into the angry black woman stereotype, but I do feel like on some levels, I'm going to let you know why what you're doing isn't okay. Right. Um, In some circumstances, I was like, oh, that's how y'all want to treat me? Okay, cool. I mean, you don't want me to do this work. I got other classes that I could do work in. Right. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and get these A's and y'all can do this extra work. Right. um, Because I already have to do extra work being black and a woman. Um, but yeah, I think part of, part of the responsibilities that we have is to dispel some of these myths. Like that's why this podcast exists. Like we're happy, positive, affirming, supportive people, but then we're also technically competent. Um, I might not be technically competent in computing in any way, shape or form, but (laughs) in my domain I am. And so, you know, to articulate that in a way that resonates with people is is important to us yeah and it may not be it doesn't need to be the responsibility of every underrepresented woman or black woman specifically to educate the masses on why this is an important topic for us to be aware of because nobody has time for that right but you can educate the people in your immediate circle right when you hear people using problematic language or making assumptions about women and also like you said it's not the job of black women to do no. this so we need allies we need people who aren't like you said black women or black people to say hey that language is not appropriate that the way you're treating this person is not appropriate what you said about this person is not appropriate even professors don't let students pick their groups like for me i let students i group them thematically like i let them say what kind of project they want to work on mm-hmm. and I put them together in terms of who put together similar stuff there's versus- a whole scholarship around this too mm-hmm. so you know if you're going up for tenure and promotion like Kyla send along some articles that support why your teaching evaluations might be lower than your peers who are teaching the same exact course I can't even send that because they love me <laughs> and then excuse but no but my me. letter was like look she like the research says that it should be the other way but i got to jump through all these hoops and you know pat these little kids on the head and say mm-hmm. you was smart you was kind <laughs> you was important so they can go ahead and give me the evaluation Ooh, i need mm-hmm. when in reality nobody should have to have time for that no and i won't so Anyways, I'm going to be sending the letter. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. It, they were still included. I'm <laughs> yeah, just saying. Yeah. But, yeah, they don't understand all the stumbling blocks and roadblocks. All right. So, thanks, Scoot. Great yeah. questions. Thank you. So, our next question comes from Dr. J. So, Dr. J asks, and there's not the Dr. J sitting it's here. Not me. Different Dr. J, <laughs> who asks, what has your path to getting grants post-grad school been like? Okay. So, I'm going to start and... We'll begin with explaining what grants are. Yeah, for people who don't know what they are and 
we mentioned them earlier talking about Kalia, but essentially um, there are different funding agencies that you can apply for money to do research yeah, or to do some type of activity. They don't necessarily have to be research focused, but in our case, because this is an academic ask us anything, um, we're going to focus on things that relate to our academics in some way. Um, so yeah. Um, most of my funding has come from the National Science Foundation, and they're basically the largest entity, funding entity for science yeah. in America. And, and especially for computer scientists, like almost 90% of all funding for computer science research comes from NSF. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So they fund primarily what's called fundamental research. Yeah. And so the work is generally focused on developing something novel or new. Transformative the, is the word they like to and use. And transformative <laughs> in the discipline um, that that you're related to. So they fund computer science. They fund like the geosciences. They fund social, STEM overall. Yeah, social um, behavior, economic. And there's an S in there that I'm missing. But they also do things that aren't science and engineering. Yeah, as but well. they're still considered science. Yeah, though. but still science. Um, so yeah, with uh, what I do in engineering education now, um, they do have an entire line of funding that comes um from the federal government to support the work that I'm doing. And so it's really cool. I started getting involved as a graduate student. I kind of realized towards the end that asphalt research wasn't my passion. <laughs> what? <laughs> I so I actually really like um civil engineering materials and in particular like concrete research. Super hype about that. I could talk to you all day about it. <laughs> Asphalt just doesn't smell great. and um, Literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was a huge transition for me because I went from a traditionally like lab-based research space where like it was me and those materials and the equipment and that's it right. to a discipline where you work with people. Um, and so... It was a huge labor to get to kind of where I needed to be to understand, like, first of all, what research looks like when you're dealing with human subjects, like yeah. people versus some rocks and some asphalt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I just started to go to professional conferences and meetings and network. And uh, I'm a talker, obviously, so I spent a lot of time developing like deep relationships with people and understanding kind of the landscape of engineering education and where I wanted to land. Yeah. And then narrowed it down even more and even more and even more till it was like, this is the thing that I want to do. This is what I want my career to look like from that. It was now, where do I get this money? Right. Cause <laughs> you've identified the problem. I figured out from what the I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I learned there were lots of funding opportunities for me through NSF, the National Science Foundation. And so I'd not, I'd, I'd seen people write grants. Um, you my, knew it was a thing. And it was a thing. <laughs> and I write well. Um, so I didn't think it would be 
that intensive. And what I what I ended up doing as a postdoc was contributing to a lot of kind of major grants that my supervisor, Juan Gilbert, was working on. So I've been a part of two National Science Foundation includes proposals. Mm-hmm. Um, we just went up for renewal with a project that funds my postdoc. Um, we got us IMCS. We applied for an STEM proposal, which I got to be a part of for two rounds, and we actually got got the award, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm working with a faculty member who does engineering education research, which is huge for me and very exciting um, to develop my own proposal that I will submit as the sole PI. Nice. Um, and then I've been invited to work on other grants with people across campus because I've been networking, right? Yeah. So one is a large research traineeship grant, which is similar to STEM in some respects, mm-hmm. uh, except that it's broader than STEM and it's about convergence research. So like where different disciplines kind of meet. And the other is about transforming undergraduate education in STEM. So it's unheard of in a lot of ways for a postdoctoral associate to be as grant active as I am. Right. Um, (laughs) But you set yourself up in the beginning to have those relationships and have the ability to do that. But I also knew I wanted to be a tenure track faculty member and the currency in academia is grant funding. And and, publication. And publication. So like if you can do those two things well... Yeah, you're good. You're good. And it's great to have like kind of a leg up on the other competition out there uh, when I go to apply for these faculty positions because most postdocs won't be able to say, I've submitted seven or eight NSF proposals. Right. And I've either been senior personnel or a co-principal investigator, which are like kind of leadership positions on, on grant teams. Yeah. That's really cool. And also the same thing with like most postdocs might say, oh, I was senior personnel on mm-hmm. a grant. Very rarely PI, a co-PI, but being able to say I submitted my own. Um, what the university is doing when you're applying to be a tenure track professor, they're basically saying, do I want to make a bet on this person that once they get here, they can sustain their own research program? Mm-hmm. And if you plan on having PhD students, which is basically how work gets done, <laughs> you got to feed them. You have to usually, you know, they need a stipend. They need things like that. So having that grant funding, not only make sure that you have the personnel support, you can support your own salary oftentimes. Mm-hmm. You can support the um, the machinery, any sort of equipment that you need as well. Um, so, yeah. Travel. No, yeah, travel to the conferences to disseminate the information mm-hmm. and all that. So, yeah. So my path was a little bit different. So I never wanted to be a faculty member. So let's just start <laughs> there. Um, I thought all faculty did was teach class, which was cool. But, you know, I'm like, oh, I heard they got to teach grants and write. I mean, teach class and write a whole lot. And I'm like, oh, neither of those sound appealing for the rest of my life. <laughs> so once I, you know, got into research, had a research area that I really liked. I'm like, oh, there's some unanswered questions questions that I'd like to investigate, which would be cool. Um, But I had some very sound mentorship who said, you know what, number one, (laughs) you have this tenure track 
application window where once you're finished with your PhD, you usually want to apply because the more you get outside of that window, oftentimes, not all the time, you have stopped publishing and you're less competitive against the people who you're running against. So why not jump through that window while it's open all the way versus waiting a few years and it's like, you know, slightly open. So um, I talked to, we have the same boss, talked to Juan and I was like, I don't want to be a faculty member. And I gave him all these different reasons. But the biggest reason was because I didn't want to write grants. And I said, why would I want to have that kind of stress in my life about I have to write to maintain my job? He's like, number one, it's not that serious. <laughs> number two, I'll teach you. So uh, one of the first things that I did was to observe people who had a lot of funding. So like people who I knew that it just kind of came effortlessly to them. I would invite them for coffee. Seemingly and effortless. Seemingly <laughs> effortlessly. Um, like uh, Dr. Shawnee Daly. Like I literally still have the notes from her about, and it's called like how to make money or something like that. <laughs> hey. And, uh, you know, she sat down and literally went through some of her grants that she had received and talked about her strategy, how she got them. And That's every strategy really is different. Oh, yeah. If you can get someone else's successful proposal and look at it and see what it took, I mean, it's... It's enlightening, yeah, it, to say the least. It definitely is. And not even just having their proposal, because oftentimes you're not in the same research right, area. Yeah. So, yeah, you can see how they talk about problems in their area, but it still takes a bit to learn how to craft your own problem in your research area in a really good way. So, like, I talked to her, I talked to my other mentor, Dr. Damon Woodard, like people who I knew just was getting shmoney, and I said, you have to teach me how to do that. So I wrote some terrible ones to start off with, but guess what? When you write back... <laughs> At once after about eight or so months you get reviews back mm -hmm. and they tell you what's wrong with it what you didn't think about who you didn't cite and you continue to it's not like oh, okay it's bad let me throw it in the trash and now I got to start over you iterate on that same one address the issues and keep submitting until they accept that thing so yeah you have to have a bit of resilience and bounce back and not take that rejection personally but it'll pay off in the end that's like yeah. grad school or academia in a nutshell. Yeah, in a whole Be resilient, nutshell. right? Because you're going to fail. It's just part of life as a faculty member, as a postdoc, as a grad student. I mean, even as an undergraduate student or a high school student, like yeah. failure is not final. Right. I like and that. And if you can like remind yourself of that over and over and over again as you fail, like it's a learning experience. You will grow from it and then you will improve. Exactly. And, and that's really what's important. So being resilient is critical. Yeah, it's one of the biggest skills that you can have and not taking stuff personally. Just saying, no, I didn't write it in the way that they needed to see it. Also, they've given me ways that I can write it. And you can also talk to the program officer because they're in the room when all this discussion's going on. And oftentimes they can tell you, you know, oh, the biggest problem that the panel had with your work was blah, 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 blah. So you can start to put it together a lot better. Um, another thing was also to be on panels. So you would, What's a panel? A panel. So anytime a grant <laughs> Is submitted there is a huge team of about usually three four to five faculty members or other researchers people with PhDs for the most part who look at your proposal go through it very thoroughly and discuss how competitive what your your work is that you're proposing and then the program uh, manager program person at the funding agency will take the most competitive ones and go to their boss and try to get it funded so 
you can actually be on one of these panels that gets to read all of these um, things. So this is sort of like an opportunity that's disguised as work because <laughs> these things, these uh, things are like they can be. 15 pages long yep. and all this supplementary information. Nobody's trying to read all that extra stuff. You might get assigned like 10 to 12 of them mm -hmm. and you have to go through them thoroughly, write summaries about them, say what you thought and um, go all the way to the funding agency to sit in a room with people to discuss them. And it's, it's a very time intensive process. Like for me, it takes about an hour per proposal and then you're gone for, you know, two days to discuss it and you're writing and like you're it's locked in a room. Yeah, and All it's day. yeah, it's not for the faint of heart, but if you do a really good job at it, one, the program managers remember you and they're like, hey, you sent a proposal through. Let me go ahead. This person has a good rapport with me. Let me go ahead and help them out. Two, you learn what not to do. So anytime mm -hmm. I'm on a panel, I have a side set of notes. <laughs> that I keep and where I'm like if I keep hearing people say something like with my first one I was like oh don't plan to plan like my first issue was I wasn't going mm -hmm. into detail enough about what I was proposing to do so the way that they wanted to see the proposal was if I needed to take this and start today you know I could now have the ability to so I just kept like writing all the words that I heard the things that were like the kiss of death for all the other proposals so when I went to write my next one it was even stronger Another strategy also that I used was to join a senior researcher um, and observe their process, somebody who just had a track history of funding. And I knew that as a young researcher, I was going to be doing all the work and I was OK with that. But I went to he also actually lives in another state and we proposed something together that we talked about at a conference. And literally the reviews came back and his part of the proposal, I was told, wasn't as strong as mine, but the program manager was like, well, we know his work, so we, we know what he's doing. He's good for it and all this stuff, but I was able to basically go through the entire process like even the way I write grants is formed by that like just the what I start with and what I outline and how I do things so um, being able to join it and yes another opportunity described as, as disguised as work because it's a lot of work on your part I did a lot of the heavy lifting but at the end of the day we got the grant so it was definitely worth it so um, yeah being on these panels joining somebody writing what they're um, observing what they're doing and then also it's about a story. So the last thing I did with um, one of the most recent grants I got was to run it past a lot of people and to have them help me craft the story around what I'm saying, because for some reason it wasn't being communicated very well. So um, I went to someone who was in my department and we sat down for about two or three hours one day and I was like this is what I want to do and we drew it all out on a board and she's like well actually I think you need to propose it backwards and mm. um, this one grant I had been proposing a long time but I was telling the story in reverse essentially so she was like you need to tell this part up front and then go back through there so yeah those are my tips so Dr. J had a few more questions. So the next one is how do you navigate large conferences and get the most out of them? And this is particularly relevant to me because for engineering education, our, our major conference is the American Society for Engineering Education Conference. And there's like over 10,000 people who attend this wow. conference annually. So it's it's pretty massive. And there's tons of different divisions that you can belong to. It's, you would get lost oh, yeah. <laughs> if you didn't have like a game plan going into it. So when I first went as a student, 
I went through all of the divisions and tried to figure out, okay, which ones are relevant to me potentially. And then when I got to the conference, they always have this event where it's like, uh, you get the opportunity to like network with the, the divisions. And so they have like a big room with all of the different divisions set up and you can go and talk to people who are part of them. So I had conversations with them about what they do. And then I narrowed it down even further to, mm-hmm. to say, okay, who do I want? Like which sessions do I want to go to within the, the divisions that make sense to me based yeah. off of those conversations? So I went from this big, I have no idea where to start to, okay, these are the divisions that make the most sense to me. And then within those divisions, these are the sessions that are actually relevant to me. And I went to those sessions. I talked to people in the room. I asked questions. People came up to me afterwards because I asked questions and wanted to know who I was because it was a new face. And I got a whole bunch of business cards and I followed people on social media Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I sent a couple of emails to people who I thought might be good to remain in contact with long term. And that's how I started with the navigating large conferences. Yeah, and that's how you make a really big conference really small. Yeah. Really fast. And and so you you know what the communities are. Even after like that conference, I still hadn't narrowed as much as I needed to. Mm-hmm. Right. So like I was running across the different divisions trying to figure <laughs> out like does this make sense? Do I want to be in this community? Do I like these people? Right. Um, because it was really important for me to like the people. Uh these are your colleagues, your people who you're gonna work with for the rest of your career. If you don't like them, yeah. You might as well exit stage left right now. (laughs) Um, So that's really how I approach it. The other way that I've done that is find someone who I trust and follow them. Yep. I was going (laughs) to say find the Jeremy in that crowd. Right. And and just latch on to that person. Yep. And until you feel comfortable with the community, then, you know, you have a safe space to be in where it's like, okay, as long as I'm with Kyla, I'm going to be fine. Yeah. And I would say it's not even just during the sessions. It's like, hey, you guys going right. to lunch? Exactly. I'll come to lunch. You guys go through this event? Yep. You know, not in a annoying kind of way, but um, even if, like, let's say you identify those people in the program that you really want to meet, just see what they're doing after their session. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, you know, did you eat yet? Can we talk about this? And, you know, ha- kind of have, like, that one-on-one. Because oftentimes they're getting, like, crowded by folks, and folks want to come up to them, and they oftentimes want to decompress and so be Kyla's wary story. of that. Because she's famous. Her. No, no, no. It's <laughs> 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 not the kind of fame you want. <laughs> But um, I would also say with large conferences, um, the same thing Jeremy said, like uh, doing your homework before you get there. Don't just get there and then decide to look up people Mm-mm. after you got there. You should have a game plan going in. Um, usually now we have a conference app, which is really cool. Like most large conferences have an app that you can download that most people will make some sort of profile on. Um, so if someone's doing a session that's interesting to you, maybe look them up on LinkedIn or mm-hmm. try to get in the same rooms that they're in. Either they would go to it because they're interested or they're the ones speaking there and just make sure you put yourself in the place be in the room where it happens like i definitely (laughs) internet stalk people before i go oh yeah like stephanie lampkin Mm -hmm. (laughs) so (laughs) we heard her speak at uh the richard tapia celebration for diversity and computing she's awesome kyle and i were in the back of the room like ooh, 
we like her. Right. <laughs> and then found out she was at Grace Hopper. Yep. Somehow we just happened to be at the same event at the same time. Coincidence. Now we're friends. <laughs> yep. And now she's our bestie. Yep. <laughs> black girl's color. That's it. <laughs> so for introverts, yeah, black girl's color. We had a whole yeah. whole thing. Thanks, Google. <laughs> Thanks for making that happen. That's right. Um, okay. And then the last question from Dr. J, and our last question for today. Yeah. Is what was your favorite side hustle during grad school? This is Man, exciting. This is cool because people don't even realize that there's other stuff you can do to make money. Shout out to Dr. J for, right. for this great series of questions. <laughs> right. <laughs> you want to start? I'll start. Whichever way. Okay, I'll start. You're looking at me weird. So um, one of my favorite side hustles wasn't even my side hustle. So I had a friend who was on a plane and sat next to the dean of an online school and just mentioned that he had a a master's in computer science and was getting his PhD. And then that transitioned into him teaching online while we were in grad school. So he's making these extra thousands of dollars, Mm -hmm. you know, every semester. And once you get that first class going, Mm -hmm. like it's just cut, copy, paste repeat you know to um to do it more and more so if I could go back in time I would have probably done that as well I was like oh I don't have the time I don't this but I definitely could have made the time and I had a few friends who but what was your side hustle my side hustle was I tutored so that was one huge thing so sweet yeah it was cute I liked it because I was a TA for the class and then the engineering um diversity center wanted to have like supplemental instruction Mm. for students so every Sunday I'd made up like a little lesson plan and we would go over um, different stuff and I would you know do that that was a side hustle I was a secret shopper at one point is that your favorite one no because they don't pay enough (laughs) so like but it would be like really you have to remember a lot like I had to go to a gym pretend to be interested and do a workout and like notice did everybody have their shirts tucked in did everybody have a name tag on was this like it was a lot to remember and you can't write anything down because then they're going to know you're a secret shopper so and i was like and i gotta work out i didn't actually do (laughs) i did actually do it but still you you know (laughs) like that was one um i braided some little girl's hair okay i feel like we've we've heard enough of kyla's side hustles (laughs) not sure which is her favorite they were super my favorite though probably was the tutoring okay because it came pretty naturally and i like being able to help the students that were actually in my class to do better see okay y'all don't judge me <laughs> uh-uh. my favorite side hustle was wedding planning ah. i know right yeah so i'm a details person you know civil engineer i like planning it's a thing yeah what I didn't realize was, like, I'm, like, obsessed with love. Like, it's just... Aww. Right. It's one of those things where it just... I just... I fell in love with love. And I was asked to help out. Like, first it was, like, little things. Like, can you make a program? Like, duh. Like, yeah. Get that done in, like, a few... Like, in an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, Or, like, can you make this little craft? These people want this. And I'd go to Michael's and buy all the supplies and stuff and, like, make a whole bunch of the same thing for someone. Um, And then it was, would you actually want to come to an event? And I was like, 
ah, like I love weddings. I definitely mm-hmm. want to go. Do I get to eat? You know, like all, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And from there, it just like turned into like full on like assistant for someone who did wedding planning. Oh, wow. And it was great. Like I had so much fun. So Jeffrey Ann's wedding. Oh, yeah. So Jeffrey right. Ann Wilder is one of the uh, NCWIT contributors who comes on the show every now and then. I was at her wedding and I helped plan her wedding. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Right. So that's that was my favorite. And what it did was prepare me for my wedding. So, yeah, because you knew all the stuff. I knew all the crafts. I knew where to get all the stuff. And I just made it happen. And what it gave me like a creative release because I'm a creative person and I like making art and singing and dancing and performing and doing all of that kind of stuff. So it gave me like that that space to yeah. be creative. And then it also gave me like some kind of street cred with the wedding community to be able to do stuff. So it gave me opportunities to sing. Yeah. And to create art and then to just kind of release all the other stuff going on in the world. Yeah, because like we said, you need self-care. Self-care is so important to have a time to do something that has nothing to do with nothing. school yes. that you actually enjoy doing is so important. Mm-hmm. And then you get to go to the wedding and eat free food That's right. and cake <laughs> and party with people because once it's over, it's over. Right, right? you can dance, yeah. all that. <laughs> yeah, so that was my, my favorite side hustle during grad school. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your questions. We loved answering them. Oops. If you want to, okay. If you want to hear us answer more questions, go ahead and send them to us. You can send us a message on any of our social medias or DM us from the website. You know how to get in touch with us. Yeah, what she said. As always, you can find us on our website at modernfigurespodcast.com, where you can also purchase items from our online store. Send us questions via email at askus at modernfigurespodcast.com. The podcast is also on social media. Just search for Modern Figures Podcast. And you can find Kyla and I on Twitter. Kyla is at Dr. Underscore Kyla. And I'm at Jeremy Waysom. Until Until next time, time, stay hydrated, moisturized, and and protect protect your peace. peace.